Thank you. Excellent singing. I love to worship together as a church. I love hearing you sing. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I do want to mention earlier, I forgot one of the announcements. Uh, ladies, there is an activity this Saturday where you have an opportunity to minister um, at Hope Ministries. And so if you are interested in that, please see Julie or sign up over there on the table uh, on the board over there this Saturday. Matthew chapter 7, we are going to continue uh, the series that I've been doing since February on the Sermon on the Mount. Every day we have choices to make, don't we? Uh, And uh, you choose between things you like and things you don't like. I'm going to do a little survey here, just impromptu survey, and you just uh, can participate as you want. I'm going to ask you a couple different items and tell me which you prefer. How many would prefer between, between Coke and coffee? How many of you would prefer Coke? Okay, how about coffee? Okay, how many both? How many would like to mix them together? Okay, how many of you hate both of them? Okay, uh, how about this? How many of you would prefer Ford to Chevy? Ford? How about Chevys? How about anything else? Okay, we got some of those. Uh, how about, oh, this, is, this is a good one for um, my assistant. How many would prefer either Mac or PC? How about Mac? PC? Oh, because you just haven't figured out that Mac's better. But anyway, that's... <laughs> how about uh, Ohio State or Michigan? How many would prefer Ohio State? How about Michigan? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Any Notre Dame? <laughs> okay, good. There's a few of you. Now, this, this one is for our younger crowd. Those of you that are older have no idea what I'm talking about on some of these. Uh, how many of you, how about Facebook? How many of you like Facebook? Twitter? Okay. Instagram? Snapchat? Burn Note? Okay, I go on and on. Okay, some of you have no idea what I just said. That's okay. I don't either. Okay, but our text today that we're looking at is as Jesus is beginning to close the Sermon on the Mount. And he has shared some very important biblical truths, uh, and, and probably some of the most important biblical truths uh, throughout this sermon. Now he begins to share with them a choice that we all have to make. He gives them two options, and we'll read about this in a moment. He gives them the narrow gate and the wide gate. Our lives are filled with choices. Every day we make choices that will impact the rest of our lives. Some choices are small and may seem insignificant. Others are very important. Some choices affect only you. Others affect uh, many people around you. When you got up this morning, you made a choice of what you were going to have for breakfast or if you were going to have breakfast. Later, you went to your closet and you picked what you were going to wear or maybe someone picked it for you. But uh, there were still choices made. Some of you are, I probably shouldn't mention this because you're going to start thinking about it. Some of you, when we leave here, you're going to choose what restaurant you're going to eat at and, uh, or what you're going to eat at home. Life is full of choices. Some are simple, some are not. Many of you made difficult choices like where you were going to go to college or a choice of what you were going to major in in college, what you were going to study. Somewhere along the way, some of you chose and, uh, the spouse that you were going to marry. Maybe today you realize it wasn't the wisest choice, but you still made that choice. 
Maybe you've decided you made a choice along the way to have children. How many children? We make choices. These things are, are uh, uh, choices that we make, and, and many of them are very important decisions, and yet they're still, none of them are still the most important decision that you are ever going to make. The most important decision, I hope, that if you haven't made it, that you'll consider making it today. What is that choice? That is the choice to accept Christ. Matthew chapter 7, if you will follow along as I read, he says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage. Lord, as we look at it, help us to understand the truths. Lord, I know there are many in here this morning who have already solidified this decision in their mind and in their heart. Lord, for those that haven't, I pray they'll take seriously this decision. This decision of what way they're going to go in life. Lord, for those of us who have made the decision, I pray that you'll help us to see really the truths of what, of what Christ told us of, of what this way would be like and the challenges along the way. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be unified in thought as we look in this passage. We ask this in your name. Amen. In many of the choices we make, uh, we might have multiple items to choose from, but in this uh, passage that Jesus uh, spoke to us, he gave two items, and I want to look, give you the two choices this morning. The first one I want to look at is choice number one, the path of destruction. Now this path doesn't even sound good, does it? I mean, who would choose this way, and yet Scripture tells us that more people are choosing this way than aren't. Scripture tells us many go through this way. And so let's examine for a few moments what does Scripture tell us about this path. Well, first of all, it's an effortless path. If you notice in the passage, it says, for, for wide is the gate, wide is the way, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. In the Jewish culture, in the Jewish time, there was really there was two types of roads that they would travel. There was uh, roads that, for the most part, were made by the Romans. They were uh, highways. Well, we, would, we wouldn't necessarily call them highways today. I have a couple pictures to show you, just so you get an idea. You look at that and you go, that doesn't look really good. But that, was, that would have been a very intricate highway at that time. Uh, it is estimated that the Romans probably uh, laid 50,000 miles of highways. Think about that for a moment. All done by hand. 50,000 miles. Many of these highways would have been about this size, which is about maybe 12, 12 feet wide. Some of them would have been as wide as 50 feet wide. These highways were pretty uh, intense, and they were large. Uh, some of them would have gone right through a town or a, a village, as you see here. This would have been a, a city, and this road highway would have been right through. It would have been a thoroughfare. Many people would have walked and traveled with their, with their animals. Now, they might not seem like much for us, but remember, this is uh, 2,000 years ago, and so uh, a road to hold up, I mean, think about it today, right? I mean, how many of you have driven over potholes, uh, roads that were repaired six months ago? And uh, so that road looks pretty good considering it's 2,000 years old. They wouldn't have been traveling on cars, and so uh, it, it would have held up differently. But not only were the, these major highways that the Romans would have built, but there was also uh, side roads. 
you know, that were smaller. Many of them were dirt. Maybe there would be some, some rock or something, but most of them just were dirt construction. Uh, hard to find pictures of those because most of them don't exist today. But uh, they, were, uh, they were, would have been maybe wide. Some of them would have gotten smaller at times, depending on the terrain, and just wide enough maybe for a donkey to go through or one person uh, carrying a pack. Now, we like wide roads, don't we? We like wide roads um, and fast roads, don't we? I mean, if you're, in a few weeks, my family, we're going to travel down to Florida to visit my, my parents, and, and we're going to go right down 65 uh, is, is all, the whole way, pretty much. Now, we're not going to take side dirt roads on our way down because it would take us forever. And we don't want to do that. We travel. Why is it that we spend money? Why is it that our state spends so much money to expand roads and to improve roads? It's because people want to get to the fastest, easiest way, don't they? We like things that way. We like things fast and easy. And that require as little as effort as possible. That's why today there are so many drive-through windows, right? I mean, people want to get their food and not have to get out of their car. That's why we want faster internet. That's why we have microwave meals, because we want things easy and we want things fast. I mean, today you don't even have to go to a movie store if you want to watch a movie. You can just click a button on your TV and rent a movie. Things have gotten easier. Access is more available. You know, Scripture tells us, though, that that's the type of road here that leads to destruction. We're all on this path. At one point in our lives, all of us were on this path. It's easy. Why? Because it's easy to live the way you want. It's easy to do the things that don't take effort. It's easy to follow the lust of the flesh. It's easy to follow the, the pleasures of this world. It's easy to pursue after those things. And that's what Jesus is telling. He's saying there's this, there's this road and it's effortless. It doesn't require a lot of work. And, and many times as Christians we think, oh, I, I want to become a Christian and, and life's going to be easy. And it's not. The easy way is to stay on the road to destruction. And that's what he tells us. I mean, think of, if you will, take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 19. I have it on the screen if you want to follow it there as well. But Matthew chapter 19, we see here the story of the rich young man, the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says to him, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus uh, talks to him about being good. And he, but he says to them, you must keep the commandments. And, and, and the man responds, which ones? And he goes through and he lists the, the commandments. And the young man says, I've done all of these. Now here was a guy who was spiritual. He had, he had things lined up spiritually the way he, sh- he should have in his mind. But then Jesus says something interesting to him. He says, uh, the man says, what do I still lack? And in verse 21, Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. It's not that he wasn't doing anything good. It's not that he wasn't living in a way that seemed right. It's just that he was ignoring the truth. He wanted the easy path. And so what happened there? What does it say in verse 22? The young man heard this and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
he was traveling down the road and he was, he was being good. He was doing the right thing. He was doing his own thing, though. And he said to Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus, it's, it's not that Jesus was saying the only way you can get into heaven is, is by selling all of our stuff. It's the only way you can get to heaven is by forsaking the earthly pleasures of this life. He said the only way you can get to heaven, though, is by making a choice. And for this man, the choice was to turn his back on all, everything. And he wasn't willing to do that. And Jesus is saying, you know, there's this road that you're traveling on, all of us are traveling on. And this road is, really, it's easy. It's not difficult. In this path, you have abundance of liberties. The gate is wide and stands wide open to all the temptations. And you can go in this gate and you can travel down this road and you can, you can fulfill all the lusts that you have. You can walk in the way of your heart and the sight of your eyes. And it gives you enough room. And here in this passage, in, in, uh, back in Matthew chapter 7, he says, it's, the gate is wide, the way is easy. It's, it's a road that is, uh, in some translations, it says it's broad. And the idea there is that there is nothing that's going to hedge you in. There's nothing that's going to restrict you. There's nothing that's going to hold you back. You can wander around endlessly as long as you possibly want and find as many possible ways that you can. But he says it's effortless. It's easy. But not only that, the second thing is this way is evil. Notice, if you will, back in verse 13, he says, the, the gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. That word destruction there means ruin or loss. It could be physical, it could be spiritual, it could be eternal. But the idea here is destruction. Every path leads to something or somewhere. Every path has an ending. I, I am a type of person that, I don't do this very often, but I do love to, to explore. When I was a kid, if we would go to a park and, and we'd be walking around as a family and I'd see a path over there, it just there was something in me that itched to want to know what was at the end of the path. I don't know if any of you are like that. I wanted to know what was there. Okay? And it really bothers me when I'd take a path and it ended up nowhere. You know, what, why did they create that path? Uh, and, and why did they go that way? Every path leads somewhere. Every path goes somewhere. And he says this path here leads to destruction. It leads ultimately to death. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, or the end outcome, or the path if you continue down in your sinfulness, this easy road, doing what you want, the end result is death. Scripture makes that very clear that this path always leads to that which is evil and that which is destructive and that which is ultimately death. This is a path that is contrary to God. It's a path that you have chosen uh, and it's a path that uh, we are placed on at birth and as we continue down that, we're choosing to stay on it. It's a path that all men begin their life on and we must choose to leave. And Jesus says that He came so that we can have life. That we can have life and have it more abundantly. But why is it that so often we stay on this path to death? Not only does it lead to death, but Scripture tells us that it leads to eternity in a place called hell. A place that is a, a horrible place. Revelation tells us that. Notice what He says. The cowardly, the faithless, 
the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I mean, you can picture this before, and probably many of you have seen artwork describing this path, this wide path that many people are on, and they're going down and they're enjoying the enticements of life, but they don't see the end. They see what's around them, but they don't see the end. And he says the end is destruction. It's an it's a effortless path. It's an evil path, but finally it's an enticing path. Notice what it says at the end of verse 13. And those who enter by it, are many. Jesus mentions that many people would follow this path. These words he recorded here are 2,000 years old, yet the evidence remains today. Many people are, are satisfied with being on this path. Do you realize that a survey was done, and this, this was hard for me to believe when I read this, a survey, a survey was done just back in July when it was published that said that 80 3% of Americans describe themselves as Christians. I didn't think it was that high. I mean, look at the immorality rate in our country. Look at, look at all the sin in our country. And, and we have a number of people, we have many people who are going down a road thinking they're on the right road. They're enjoying their pleasures. Oh man, man they snatched onto Christianity because they like it. And they, they've snatched onto this because they like it. And, and yet they're going along their way and they're leading themselves to destruction. I believe there are many who are in our churches today who at this very moment are walking down a path to destruction. I believe there are many people who, who are, are saying, hey, I'm a believer, I've placed my faith in Christ, yet they've never turned off this path. And they're leading themselves to destru destruction. Salvation is a belief in the work of Christ on the cross. But even Christ over and over again emphasized that true followers will evidence their faith by the way that they walk, by the way that they live. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we see a similar uh, interaction that Christ had with some disciples that we saw with the, the rich young man. And it says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, as they, the, the Jesus and the disciples, were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air, air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. It is not that Jesus is requiring for us as a Christian to, to forget about our families. It's not that Jesus is requiring for us to, to, to sleep at night on a rock. It's not that Jesus is saying we can never uh, interact with people that we love again. The fact is what Jesus is saying is the magnitude of the Gospel is that when we accept Jesus Christ, we're saying that is all that really matters. And I'm going a different way. I'm on a different path. And yet too many people are saying, yeah, I, I, I want to believe. I believe, but I don't know if I really want to change. 
said this before, but in Scripture it describes uh, the demons and it says that the demons believe and tremble. Demons believe and tremble. Satan wants us to think that the wide way that many are traveling down is good. Satan wants us to believe that the wide way that we're traveling down is, is better. And so he entices people to believe that, it's, it, that you're okay. He entices us. The word entice means to tempt with hope of reward or pleasure. And that's exactly what Satan does. He promises you that the, the world, if you'll just follow him. And I believe that Satan has enticed so many people, even those that claim to be Christians. He entices. He even enticed Christ. You could look back there, but in Matthew chapter 4, he tempted Christ, and the Bible says he tempted him three times. Christ. Satan knew he couldn't sin. And yet it's the way he does it. He entices us. Maybe the opportunity to commit adultery looks good until you realize it's going to tear your family apart. Those drugs look good until you have lost everything and you have nothing more. The appeal of acquiring wealth is enticing, but it's uh, not the pursuit that God wants us to have. Our salvation is not based on works, but yet God wants us to, to reflect a walk that is in line with His Word. There's many people who have done the works that will not receive eternal life. If you're in Matthew chapter 7, we'll look at this passage more closely in a few weeks, but look at verse 22. He says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I believe there are many people who have been so enticed by Satan's enticements you're still on that wide way. You're still on that wide way to destruction. Clueless. Clueless about the fact that you're still pursuing self. Oh, maybe it's self in a different way, like individuals that it's talking about in that passage. Many have been enticed by what Satan offers. And I beg you, do not choose the path of destruction. Many will go this way because it's appealing, but it's destructive. If we follow the multitude, it will be to do evil. If we go with the crowd, it's going to be the wrong way. It's natural for us to incline to go downstream, to follow the crowd, to do what everyone else is doing. But here in this passage, he's saying the way that everyone else is going, the way that the majority of people are going is leading to destruction. So this morning, the first choice you have is to stay where you're at. It's really uh, not a choice at all. It's just a continuation. What I want to share with you is the other choice, though. And just in the next few moments, what does Scripture say the other choice is? Choice number two is the path of deliverance. Just as we stated earlier, every path leads somewhere. And I hope that as you look at the last path, the path of destruction, it does not lead to a positive place. But Jesus offers an alternative. He says in verse 14, uh, there in verse 14 he says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Leads to life. 
I'm going to give you three things. First of all, what, is, what are the instructions for this path? What does he say? It's very simple. The beginning of verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gates. Go by that way. Enter into, uh, the King James says, the straight gates. Uh, the narrow gates. It's simple. It's not very difficult. It's, but how do we do this? It's through Jesus alone. See, a gate here in this passage signifies something. He doesn't just say a way. He says a gate. Why? Because a gate is a point of entry. A gate is a point of decision. Okay, if you're, if you're uh, somewhere and you're walking along and there's two doors, you've got to pick a door, don't you? And you don't really know what's on the other side of the door unless there's a sign or you've been there before unless you go in it. But here he's telling you, here's a gate. It's narrow. What's behind it is hard. What's behind it is you're going to be alone. But it's a decision you made. Enter this gate. Notice a number of passages in Scripture. In John chapter 10, verse 7, he said, Jesus said to them, Truly I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You're traveling along that, that wide way, and along the way, temptation comes, and along the way, things come in, and he says that all of those people are thieves and robbers. He says, but if you come through the door, you'll have safety. It's a point of decision that we must come to, that we cannot do anything to free ourselves of the penalty of this sin. We cannot do anything to, to get onto the way that's uh, right for us. It's, it's choosing Christ. Choosing Christ. John chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. All men want to get to the heaven. That is the desire of every man. Is say, oh, if you talk to most individuals, now there is the rare person that says they want to go to hell. Most people say they want to get to heaven or their own idea of paradise. But it's clear as we look at Scripture that there's not multiple ways of getting there. There's only one way. It's not easy. It's simple. But yet we often simplify it so much to the point that we, we think, well, then everything after that is okay. And Jesus says, no, here's this way. It's narrow. It's hard but it leads to life. The instructions He gives is simply enter. And how do we enter? We enter this gate through what Christ offers. And when we enter this gate, we're changed. We have a new heart. We have a new spirit. Old things are passed away. We're changed. The bent of our soul becomes changed. Corrupt habits and customs begin to be broken. What we had been doing in our old days, we don't do anymore. But you know, the difference is we used to swim with stream. Now we begin to say, I'm going to fight against the current. I'm going to fight against the opposition. You know, many people are not willing to do that. The instruction to the plan, he says, enter through Christ. The second thing is the incentive for this path. Notice what he says in the verse again. He says, uh, narrow is the way that leads to life. We stated that the path of destruction leads to death, but the path of deliverance leads to life. 
You know, so often, especially with kids, when we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, we focus on the negative and we'll say, hey, you know, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And Well, no, I don't. But here he says, you know, the positive is we need to focus on life. God desires to give you life. It does not mean God says life's going to be easy. But He desires to give you life. Ask anyone you know who has been truly saved and they will tell you there's a wonderful life in in living for God. Christ wants us to live life abundantly. If you're not living life abundantly, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Number one, maybe you're still on the wrong path. Or maybe you're on the right path, but you're not living in obedience to Christ. Because he tells us, not just here, but in other places, that when we follow Christ, there will be life that's abundant. Because the incentive to follow Christ and to go down this path is an, is an abundant, rich, full life. It's also a relationship with Christ. Turning to Christ. And then the, the last point that we want to look at, Alex, if you can turn it, the last one is, the, notice the isolation of this path. Look again at verse 14. He says, The gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Many pass by through carelessness, and they're not able to find it. They're doing well, and they think they're okay, and they think they need no, no change. Others look upon uh, the, the, this way, and they shun it. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to do that thing. They look at it, and they say, it's so limited. It's so restrained. But it says here, few there will be that find it. Compared to those that go to hell, Scripture tells us as many. Those that find the right way, it's a, it's a remnant. It's a small flock. In uh, Scripture, we see the story of Noah when Noah is, is called and, it's, and he's spared. And Peter compares that to those who to follow Christ and it says that there was only eight. Not to say that there's only eight that will accept Christ, but that it's, it's a limited number. You may ask, how, how can I get through this narrow gate? Well, the answer is only found in, in Scripture. And in Romans chapter 10, it says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus, that Jesus Christ and shall believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a, with a heart man believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made known unto salvation. The choice is clear. You have a choice today, and many of you have made this choice, and if you have, rejoice. But if you haven't, I trust that you will today. Everlasting life or eternal separation. Everlasting joy or eternal torments. The choice is clear. What choice have you made? In Bolivia, there's a road called the Yungus Road. It is known as the most scary, dangerous road in the world. I have a picture of it there for you. I would not want to travel that. Um, the, the interesting thing about this is they call this a highway. And the reason because that is because there is a town um, that is only, um, you can only get there going this road from the capital. This road travels uh, many miles and, and actually it's, at one point it goes as high as 15,000 feet altitude and as low as 3,000 feet altitude. So you get, that's a serious climb. 
It goes, and as you see, because of the way this road travels, it goes anywhere from very mountainous ter- terrain to very deep, dark rainforests. It goes from steep hillsides to, to deep valleys. This road is very scary. It's a largely, as you notice from there, it's a largely single-lane road. There's no guardrails, and at points there's cliffs up to 2,000 feet. Most part, uh, part of the road is is a single file, which is difficult if you have people coming the other way. During the rainy season, fog and rain can severely hamper visibility, and water runoff can turn it into a muddy wreck and make it very almost impassable at times. But yet, it's a very well-traveled road. In the summer, it's known to have many falling rocks, and as you can tell, it's very dusty, and so the dust creates almost what's known as a dust storm, and they can't see people coming around the other bend. I read there's actually uh, laws about this road that, this is interesting, that those going uphill have the right of way. So those going downhill have to get out of the way and get as close as they can to the edge of the, the mountain so that those going uphill can go. I mean, that sounds really great. So it's one of the uh, most dangerous roads. Many times uh, it's traveled by buses. and uh, Oh, I have another picture that's even greater. Here's a great one. Um, it's traveled by buses and trucks, and, and uh, they travel this road, and it's said that um, every year they have, you see a bus there, every year they have multiple buses that fall off cliffs going on this road. So if we ever go to Bolivia, we are not taking this road. <laughs> I will walk. But here's the thing, is I, am, I, am, I want to proclaim to you. The truth is that the scariest road has little to do with a place in Bolivia. The scariest road is the spiritual road taken by many people who don't know Christ. And there are many people today who are traveling the road and they don't even know it. And they're on their way to destruction. Oh, the road doesn't seem like this. It seems safe. It seems easy. It seems pleasurable, but Christ says the end is destruction. Now, a couple things we can take from this. The first one I want to ask is, are you on the path to destruction or are you on the path to deliverance? Maybe you're here this morning and you have not, you have not made this choice yet. I challenge you to do that. There is no other decision that you can make that is greater than to choose Christ. There is no other decision that has more, more blessing than choosing Christ. Maybe you're here and you say, I've made that decision. I want to remind you of the fact that there are many people who walk around you on a daily basis who are still on that road to destruction. What are we doing about it? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with them traveling this road that is going to lead to their eternal death? Or are you going to be the one that says, you know what, I can't sit back idly anymore and watch this take place. 
I'm going to be the one that shows them the right path. Now, ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but the, the Holy Spirit uses mouthpieces like you and I every day to point people to Christ. The question is, are we willing to point them to Christ? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that Christ gave in this particular passage. Lord, it is a reminder to us of what we have been saved from. Lord, I am so thankful that as a little boy, I came to the realization that I was on my way to destruction. Lord, that I realized that I did not want to go that way, but I, in faith, turned to Christ. Lord, it's not something I did. It's not something I achieved. It's Christ. Lord, I pray that you help any here this morning that haven't made that decision to do that this morning. And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you help us to realize, although the way may be hard for us at times, a challenge, and, and even as this evening as we talk about persecution in our world today and, and how do we respond to persecution, we understand that it's just temporary, that one day we will be in the presence of Jesus and in your presence, God. And I pray that you will help us to, while we're on this path, to do what we can to draw others to it as well, to point others to the abundant life that they can have through Christ. And I pray that you will help us to be faithful to that task. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. Lord, as we head into a time of invitation and then a time of communion, I pray that our focus will be solely on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Nate. Please stand together with me as we sing, There is a Redeemer. of that song and then we're going to go into a time of communion. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to have you join us in communion. Uh, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you're welcome to. Uh, if you at this time need to leave for whatever reason, you can slip out during this last verse of the song before we go into communion. When I stand in glory, I 
Thank you. You may be seated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is reminding the church of Corinth of the purpose of the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted the night uh, he was crucified. And he said this, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we look at this passage, as we're reminding of what uh, the Lord's Supper is about, I can't help think about the fact that as we are going down the path of destruction, that the only way we can get onto the path of life is through Christ. And one day Jesus went to the cross and he died a horrific death. Not because he was a criminal. Not because he was a sinner. But because I am. And you are. Before he died, he reminded his disciples, he said, you know, after I go, I want you to continue to remember what I am about to do for you. Not so that uh, you have to have a ritual or routine, which is what it became for the church of Corinth, but so that you realize that without me, you can do nothing. So I challenge you as we take this time of communion, as the deacons distribute the bread, and as we're reminded of the broken body of Christ, it's because of that broken body that we have abundant life. It's because of that shed blood that we have a hope for eternity. I challenge you. Challenge you to, to take account of your life and say, ask if there's anything between you and your Savior. There's any sin that has crept in that Christ has already covered, yet you're still dwelling in. As I said earlier, maybe that's the reason why you don't have abundant life. I challenge you to do that. I'm going to ask the deacons to stand, I'll have a word of prayer, and then they will distribute the bread. God, we are thankful for your word. I'm thankful for what Christ did for me on the cross. Lord, I am indebted. As we sang earlier, the power of the cross. It did something that nothing else can do. And that is to give hope. To give eternal security to all of us who place our faith in You. So Lord, I pray that even though we are not indebted to You because what Christ did, I pray that You'll help us to remember that we are indebted to You to serve You to faithfully give you our life. Lord, I pray that you will be blessed. I pray that you will guide and direct during this time of communion. We ask this in your name. Amen.